Well, well. Who wants to live forever? <laughs> The following is a member of the Growler Media Podcast Network. Find out more at growlermedia.com. Ming's not unbeatable. With all his men, he couldn't even kill Flash. Gordon's alive! Welcome to Flash Gordon Minute, presenting your hosts from Minute of Darkness and the Cosmic Geppetto Podcast. Brad, and introducing your intrepid explorer of Planet Mongo, Eric. We're at minute 38 of Flash Gordon. Eric, how are you tonight? Brad. Okay. That was our musical interlude for today. <laughs> <laughs> Do it now too. All right. Oh, Eric, let's sing at the same time. Okay. Okay. One. Okay. One, two, three. We should never do an album together. I think that's (laughs) what we've learned today. But we tried, and that's good. You did try. Hey, yeah, here's the thing, folks. We've actually recorded Kathleen singing in the past and have used her. Uh, it, Cosmic Geppetto has uh, had a couple of songs that we've put out in the past, and uh, Kathleen sang on one. Uh, Kathleen has a wonderful singing voice. Yeah, well, thank you, Brad. It was very nice. Uh, perhaps <laughs> no one picked that up from that particular little uh, oral experiment. It was trying to throw in some humor there and... I don't know. Anyway, but no, I I can carry a tune. I mean, you know, it's fine. I noticed Brad did not say Eric has a lovely singing voice. <laughs> Eric, I think you've got a nice voice. I think you've got good <laughs> pitch and tone, and uh, good job. You may move on to the next round. <laughs> I, I think you might be the uh, Paula of this particular panel of uh, judges. So that's okay. Everyone needs a Paula. Yeah. Oh. <laughs> that took me a second to understand what the hell you were talking about it's okay eric get up to speed come on dude come on. i was never a fan of that show I mean, oh no i just like paula abdul so <laughs> it's fine so we're at minute 38 and uh <laughs> joining us again we have kathleen who has been a frequent contributor to the cosmic Chibetto podcast kathleen it has been wonderful having you this week and we're glad you're able to finish it out with us I'm just, y'all, I'm so sorry. I'm, I've, I've been in, tra- I can't even talk. I've been trapped in my house for like days in Wyoming because of snow and it's not cool. And I, I think I'm losing my mind. So watch out. Yeah, watch been, out I, I, the listeners need to know it's been very tough. Kathleen has had to burrow her way through the snow for the last three days every day to get to the Flash Court of Minute Studios to record our daily cast here. Uh, it's, 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 it's appreciated. Uh, I am worried because I, uh, Erica did take a look at her notes and it all just said, uh, all work and no play makes uh, Kathleen a dull boy. <laughs> and I was like, ah, this is not going to turn out well for us. Yeah, you might want to hide the sharp objects like the, you know, the axe over there on the wall, you know, for... Why do I even have that there? I don't... I, wh- why? Why would I have an axe? 
I don't know. And I mean, you know, like the, the, the old school paper cutter, I could easily rip that thing off and make a machete out of it. So like, you really need to like, keep all sharp objects away from me at this point. So we're, uh, we're, we're on minute 38. We're, we're, we're diving in. Eric, why don't you recap minute 38? Well, Aura, um, I, you know, she knows Flash is alive, obviously. Um, but, you know, she's still putting the moves on Flash while he's passed out. Uh, and we've got the song, The Kiss, parentheses, Aura Resurrects Flash playing during this. This is a combination, by the way. Freddie Mercury and Howard Blake both get writing credit on the song, one of two songs on the soundtrack that has that. And I just want to say that as a kid, I thought this was some weird Brian May instrument. It was not until I was an adult that I realized this was Freddie Mercury's voice, this song. Damn. That is, uh, that is quite a voice that he has. And it... He has the most amazing falsetto. That, and if, if listeners out there, there don't know what that is, it's a type of singing style where you raise your soft palate. You're not using like your hard voice in your throat but, or your chest. You're really like raising it through. And he's just so good at falsetto. It's just, oh, it's amazing. And so that's what he's doing there in this little ah, type song thing that Eric is so good at singing because um, Eric has a beautiful voice. So Yeah. Anyway, so um, I, I loved With the Kiss. It was definitely a sort of reverse Sleeping Beauty or Snow White thing. You know, she, she wakes him up with a kiss and uh, he, he wakes up. But even before that, the relationship between Ara and the Doctor is a little is they they dive into it a little bit more. And uh, Eric, actually Kathleen, how does Ara feel about the Doctor? Uh, I think Ara wants to get it get things done. I think Ara wants to get things done um, from a selfish perspective. She wants to get what she wants, and she's going to. I don't want to use the word use because I mean, she's giving these pe- these, these men and maybe women, I don't know what they want. I think he's more into her than she is. If that makes sense. Like he's, he's clearly oh, obsessed. That's, that's definitely clearly obsessed. obsessed. And she's just cool as a cucumber about it. Like her main focus right now is getting flash Gordon alive again. So she can use him in whichever way she wants and, all that good stuff. So, well, I felt like first off, it was so weird the way he wrapped his arm around her. He like wrapped his arm around her neck. He was making a weird fist, and it, it felt a little possessive. Possessive, yeah. Yeah, it was possessive and sort of desperate. And when she pulls back from the kiss after the kiss, I I, I heard her like like make some sort of like uh, sound or and sort of turn her head away, like. She knows she's she's doing what she she's doing it of her own free will, whatever relationship she has with the doctor. But in those few moments, I could see this isn't her and her attraction to Flash or her relationship with Prince Baron. I mean, she obviously cares or has some sort of feeling towards Prince Baron or or for nothing else. She's attracted to him. This seems like uh, this doctor, he might gross her out a little bit. I mean, but who wouldn't be attracted to Prince Baron? I mean, Timothy Dalton is my little English muffin and I adore him. He's no, it was so funny. Like 
my husband Kyle uh, was in the room when I was watching this, and then Timothy Dalton comes on the screen as Space Robin Hood, and I just like I had no idea Timothy Dalton was in this movie, and I just literally lost myself. So I don't. I mean, if you take Flash Gordon, if you take you know uh, Timothy Dalton and this Doctor Dweeb, like I mean, she really <laughs> her attention on so many things. So. I think she was just kind of like, oh, I'm over a doctor. We were so like last, you know, yesterday. So. Well, also he, you know, he's one of clearly many men in her life and he is willing to risk his life to, to bring this new guy back to add another guy to her life. I mean, he, the, the guy's got, I mean, you call them a dweeb and I think that's perfect. It's like, don't you you know, aren't you tired of sharing her with however ever money, however many other men she has, and now you're willingly assisting her, adding another man to her collection? Yeah, but I mean, he doesn't have to help her, you know. And if she doesn't want to be with the the doctor anymore, she doesn't have to. I mean, that's right. The best thing I could compare it to, and ladies, I think you know what, where I'm going with this. It's like you've got that guy in your life that's in the friend zone, and they stay in the friend zone, and they do all these things for you, and they're nice to you, but yet they expect something in return in the future. Maybe not within a couple months, but maybe in like five years, all of a sudden, you're out at the bar, and it's your birthday, and they try to make out with you, and it's like, whoa, dude. And they're like, oh, I did all these nice things for you. It's like, that doesn't mean I have to, like, have sex with you and be in a relationship with you, you know? So, like, th- she doesn't owe him crap. That, that is a terribly specific story. And, geez, it is it sucks to be a woman. Yeah. Oh, it sucks. I'm sorry. I just, I just cursed. And I know that y'all have a new special effect for that, so I'm not worried about it. <laughs> <laughs> it's like laser beams or something. So it adds to the... The fun of the show. There yeah, we go. It's, it, it, that was uh, suggested by Jarf, and we it, honestly, if it didn't take so much effort to edit, I would encourage people to curse just so I could use it, but but don't, <laughs> folks. Uh, I love doing this show. This show is amazing. The editing part is brutal. It is brutal editing this show. I'm I'm, I'm just I'm just I'm waiting for the day when Brad contacts me and says, "I know, Eric. I agreed to do all the technical stuff, but <laughs> screw this." Go get yourself some software. You're doing the rest of the show. Uh, actually, I should try to get Jerv to do it. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah. It's like when you're in a meeting and the one person that doesn't show up, you give them all the work yeah, to do. Yeah, that's totally how it works. <laughs> well, also, Kathleen, you, you sort of hit home because uh, I find the uh, that particular story that you tell, and I know it's a common one, and there's been so many like posts on Facebook of women recounting the, oh, 20 stories of nice guys who turned out not to be that nice, and I am always a sucker for the that clickbait sort of stuff, and it's always stories like that. And every time it's like... And, and when I see that stuff, I just turn to my, my six-year-old daughter, London, and it's like, you don't owe any guy anything, honey, and you never, ever will. Cause Preach. Reach. Yes. Yes, yes, yes. I love it. Thank you for sharing that with her. I love it. Yeah. God bless you. Sorry. Sorry. Sorry, guys suck. <laughs> no. Yeah. Well, you know, it's okay. But the burning question here is we mentioned in, I think, minute 36, this gold little gun thing, the gold spray caulking gun that looks really cheap and cheesy. Yeah, it's, it's a it's a it's a dinky prop. 
that's brought back into the scene. So we see him in minute 36 with this, the doctor has this little, you know, crappy looking gun thing and shooting it up with, you know, Flash Gordon, probably to help him ease the pain or something. Is that what you're interpreting it as, Eric? Kind of like... No, I took it as that it was some kind of activating agent that you shoot at him that would allow him to revive him later. Oh, okay. And so he shot him again, yeah. and right. that woke him up. So it was kind of like something that would put him into a false sleep the first time, and then... Yeah, that would somehow counteract the gas affecting him or something. Okay, okay. I was just kind of like... Those were the, I was like, wait a minute, we already saw this gun. Like, it killed him. For, like, I was just so confused. So that makes sense to me. Well, also, we've we've talked in, in previous episodes about some moments that were, we felt were lazy script writing. And I think this this is a lazy prop work and lazy acting moment because you're, you're like you said, the, the prop is just this dinky little thing. I mean, it's just a ridiculous prop. But also, the, the guy, he... He holds it against Flash's arm. He doesn't press any buttons. He makes no actual movement. He doesn't pull the trigger. Anything like that. He literally just touches it to Flash's arm. There's a quick little stupid sound effect. Yeah, and then, like, Flash wakes up. You know, the doctor's out of the room by this point. He's starting to come up, and it's a little creepy. Like, Aura's just, like, touching him and all this stuff. And he's asking, like, how? I thought I was dead. And she gives this really vague, weird answer, and she's like, it's magic with a kiss because I like you. And I'm like, is that like, I don't know. Is it because she just couldn't read the lines well? Cause her English isn't that great. Like what is, what is going on here? It's so it is magic, I guess. I don't know. And it is a snow white thing. Like with, with the kiss, Brad, like I would like how you were comparing it to like a reverse snow white type thing. So that's. Yeah. She, she definitely wants credit in, it, it is funny where Aura is such a powerful, sexy, confident woman, but just the whole thing of her saying it's like it's magic because I like you is such a little girl thing to say, and yeah, it's a little creepy. Yeah, and then also just the idea that she wants credit for it, so she wants, you know, I, I what do we got, what do we think here? Would Flash have woken up if she hadn't kissed him? I mean, was that was that like the, the the secret sauce to the two shots and then a kiss? I mean, it's just a lot of logistics to bring someone back from the dead. You know, it's like you have the primer shot in the beginning, and then you've got the second shot, and then you have to be kissed by a beautiful woman, and she has to say because I like you. I don't. It's a lot. It's just. A lot. There has to be an easier way. I don't know. Too much work. Too much work. This whole relate, like love and you know, for aura, aura or whatever. I don't know. I just think girls just working too hard, and she needs to like, she needs to like just have a spa day and like relax and find herself and like not always lose herself or find herself in the arms of a man. You know, it's like go on holiday, girl. Just go to the beach. Go by yourself. Whatever. I want. I want to. Uh, I want to segue into uh, a a segment we've done previously with some other guests and some other and other actors in this movie. Um, we, I stole this idea from the Star Wars Minute guys. When the original director Nicholas Rogue was going direct, Debbie Harry was his choice <gasps> to play Princess Aura. That would have been cool. And this was like when she when Blondie was becoming really really popular i'm going to talk about kind of the music scene at this time a little later or maybe we can talk about it now but 1980 was like post punk new wave 
Blondie, Talking Heads, Iggy Pop, like all these bands were coming out. And that would have been so cool if she was in this movie. I love that. Yeah, it would have been cool. Very different, but very cool. Yeah. Right. What I want to do, throw at you guys, Debbie Harry, born in 1945, Ornella Moody, born in 1955. So I want to give you some other actresses that were born in those two years. Let's see how you guys think these actresses would have done as Princess Aura. So, 1945, this is Debbie Harry's year. Mia Farrow. No, no, no. I, and, uh, I like Mia Farrow. She's a really solid actress, but she's too much of a naive waif which is her whole thing this wide-eyed ingenue and that our our can't be a wide-eyed ingenue i don't know i mean to really play princess aura i mean you've got to have like spunk and spirit and just like kind of this punk rock attitude that you know mia farrow just doesn't maybe she does in her free time maybe we just don't know but how she's we normally see her in movies like i just don't see how it would fit priscilla presley Oh, that would be cool. Priscilla Presley, probably best known for her work on the TV show Dallas. Uh, she was in a movie with... Oh, the Naked Yeah, Gun. the Naked... I'm thinking Naked Gun is probably where people know her best, yeah. Beautiful woman. Beautiful woman. Uh, I don't think a great actress, but a beautiful she woman. Comedy. She does campy comedy really well, though. She She's does. In all joke. Yeah. Um, definitely has the looks for it. I don't know if she would be great at it. Would rather Debbie Harry. Yeah. Adrienne Barbeau. Yeah. I don't know who that is. <laughs> look her up. I don't know who this is. Brad, I feel like there have been other moments in this show where we've had guests younger than us. <laughs> we've had this similar kind of moment. <laughs> uh, Adrienne Barbeau. Escape from New York, Swamp Thing. Oh, geez. Okay, I know her face. I didn't know her name. Okay. Oh, yeah. I know who that is. Yes, yes, yes. Stunningly beautiful woman. Yeah. And she's 72 now and still stunningly beautiful. It, it More of a, I think a little bit more of a corn-fed um, mid-America beautiful look that she has. But I think if you put her in some of these outfits and uh, she has the hair and the makeup like Aura, I think she would have been uh, amazing. And, ver- um, and more of a like voluptuous, full-bodied uh, sexiness. So, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I can see that. Well, this next one, talk about a 72-year-old who's still very good-looking, Helen Mirren. Oh, oh God. Yeah, yeah. It, yeah. Really, uh, Helen Mirren, she could be – she's so amazing. Uh, quite frankly, she could have been anything. She, yeah. she would have done a – she would have been a kick-ass Ming for all of that. Yeah. No, I, was, I was thinking that. She should have been the main villain. I mean, she, just, like, she would wipe the floor of every other actor on that set, you know. She would need, like, a really big role – in the movie. Goldie Hawn. I really did Goldie Hawn. I think she would be so great in this. The go-go dance she's hilarious. She's beautiful. But I don't ever see her being that confident or that manipulative. Her whole thing is this just she's a beautiful but sort of again another naive wide-eyed still beautiful and very sexy but uh, i i don't see her as aura i don't know i mean she did a really i know this was movie was much later so maybe at this time we've got to think i guess in the time of this movie but first wives club i know a lot of other ladies out there have seen this movie and i really like it but she played this like ball busting confident af woman just like 
She can do it. I just don't think maybe at this point in her career, she would have been given the chance to do it or think to go in that direction. And Bette Midler. No. Uh, no. And, and I love <laughs> Bette Midler. I love Bette Midler. He would have been a good villain, too. My wife made me go see Bette Midler with her when we went to Las Vegas like 10 years ago. Ooh. Did she do uh, Favorite Waste of Time? Uh, I She did Wind Beneath My Wings. I remember that. One of my favorite songs ever is uh, Favorite Waste of Time. It's just like a little-known B-side by Marshall Crenshaw. And it's just an amazing song. And uh, it's been covered many times, including once by Bette Midler. And she uh, and Bette Midler has an amazing voice. Not my favorite version of the song, but uh, yeah, I, that's whatever I think of Bette Midler. It's like one of her little-known songs. It was a single. It was released in a video. Uh, so I was like, yeah, okay. But you know, of course, she's best known for uh, Wind Beneath My Wings and The Rose and stuff. Very talented. I, I like Bette Midler. She's very talented and a solid comedic actress. She's not Aura. Not, not even then. <laughs> no. Uh, all right. So now uh, we're going to do a, a few actress, contemporary actresses from Ornella Muti, born in 1955. Uh Captain Janeway herself, Kate Mulgrew. No, no. I, it's another uh, actress who's just, she's at her best when she's a ball buster. Uh, I, I've seen her in a couple of non-Janeway roles and always like professional. You, I, I think I saw, I've seen her in a couple of movies where she w- was playing like an army captain or, or like an officer or a police officer. Like that's just such a very natural uh, role for her. Sandra Bernhard. I'm having to look these, like, because I don't know people's names. <laughs> I know face. Sandra Bernhard, uh, possibly best known. She was uh, Roseanne's friend and business partner on uh, the original iteration of the Roseanne show. No, no. I'm still, like, Debbie Harry, or the woman who is cur- who they already casted is great, too. But Debbie Harry is still number one for me so far, so far. Well, speaking of Roseanne, Brad, uh, Laurie Metcalf, who played Roseanne's sister. Uh, Laurie Metcalf is... I like her. She's very good at playing sisters and moms. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And finally, Brad, someone who came up way back in one of our first episodes because we both remembered a very famous scene of hers in the movie Sheena, Tanya Roberts. (laughs) Oh gosh! Well, she would certainly look good in the outfits, but no, she she's doesn't have the acting chops. And what made Sheena work, and what she's done in other stuff from Charlie's Angels to her times on the '70s shows, she's a very, very beautiful, sexy woman who has no idea how beautiful and sexy she is. And that is not Aura. That is not Aura. How familiar are you with Tanya Roberts, uh, Kathleen? I mean, I I know her face from Charlie's Angels, um, so that's where I remember her from. But I don't know, like, Princess Aura just has to own it. She's very confident in herself. She knows what she wants, and she gets it, and she's she'll, she'll do anything. She'll bring someone back from the dead to get what she wants, but she won't do it. She'll make someone else do it and then pretend like, oh, I kissed you, and it's magic, and... I don't know, it's just really funny. There's all these like logistics for her to bring flashback from the dead and then she like pushes away the doctor and wakes up. She's like, Oh yeah, I totally did that with a kiss because I'm off. Awesome. I don't know. I think they picked a good person in the movie, but I think Debbie Harry would have just been so cool. That would have been cool. Debbie Harry would have been wonderful. 
But yeah, uh, no, they got the right aura. And gosh, a lot of wonderful comedic actresses born at the, at the same time as Debbie Harry and uh, Moody. That, that's actually really stunning uh, because it's it's not easy to be a comedic actress, um, especially during that era. But uh, yeah, uh, apparently there were more than a few. <sighs> All right, that that's a good list. Again, as always, uh, we get a lot of love. Uh, it's funny, everybody. We appreciate the tweets and uh, the comments that we get on the show. And it's funny, two things that people love that these lists, uh, which are a lot of fun. And we, uh, Eric, thank you so much for doing these. And uh, it's, Eric does a great job of bringing them up when they come up naturally. So uh, yeah, thank you, Eric. Well, again, I I I shamelessly stole this idea from the masters over at star wars minute yeah basically if there's anything cool that happens in the world of minute by minute it probably started with star wars minute those guys are amazing uh it's the granddaddy of them all and uh, if not for star wars minute there would be no uh there would be no flash Gordon minute because uh it was a brilliant idea that and they've been very cool about all everybody ripping them off mercilessly yeah, the, the, the other thing, people, uh, we've gotten one or two comments uh, as of this recording. Uh, people like that we, whenever we sometimes uh, plug in a little bit of 80s music at the end of the episodes, uh, we basically do that whenever a song comes up naturally. Uh, it, it, up in the course of conversation, I'll uh, throw it on the end there. But uh, I, despite the fact that Eric has an awesome DJ voice, as he showed yesterday, eh, we're not going to go full top 40 with this show. I wanted to call out, you know, uh, I like Sam Jones acting in this scene. I like his reaction to Aura telling him that he brought him back from the dead. And it just made me think about how um, Mike Hodges, the director, you know, he, he really, you know, felt Sam was perfect for the role. And 1980, when this movie came out, was the first year of the Golden Raspberry Awards, which if people don't know what those are, around the time of the Oscars... Uh, some a bunch of guys and women have something called, called the Golden Raspberry Awards where they like to call out what they think are the worst movies and worst performances of the year. And Sam Jones was nominated in 1980 as worst actor for this movie. Oh, Yeah, exactly. Now, obviously, no one appearing on this podcast is going to agree with that because we love Flash and we love Sam. And Mike Hodges specifically said in an interview many years later, he found it very unfair because Sam was perfect for this role. And Brad, you and I have talked a lot about how we agree with that. So I wanted to call that out. But also, I took a, li- a look at the other nominees from that year. And I've never seen any of these other movies. And these are famous actors, so I can't speak to any of these performances. But the other people nominated that year for the Golden Raspberry for Worst Actor was Neil Diamond for The Jazz Singer, Michael Beck for Xanadu, Robert Blake in Coast to Coast, Kirk Douglas in Saturn 3, Richard Dreyfuss in The Competition, Anthony Hopkins in A Change of Seasons, Michael Caine for both Dress to Kill and The Island, and at the time, Bruce Jenner, now Caitlyn Jenner, for Can't Stop the Music. And the winner was Neil Diamond for The Jazz Singer. That was well-deserved, by the way. Neil Diamond, The Jazz Singer. That movie was terrible. He was also playing like a young a young guy who wanted to go into the music business. And Neil Diamond, I don't think he was that young. And plus, Neil Diamond never looked young. <laughs> and also, he did a scene pretty much in blackface, which uh, should never, ever, ever happen. I- I'm, I'm not... You know, I'm not really feeling too bad. I've never seen the movie. I, I haven't either. I was waiting for someone else to say they haven't seen it. I was just sitting here going like, oh, God, please don't let me be the only one. <laughs> I mean, of course, I know the famous song from it, but I've never seen the movie. I've seen a couple of those, or at least parts of a couple of those. I saw Saturn 3, and it was 
Farrah Fawcett and Kirk Douglas. Farrah Fawcett, beautiful, stunningly beautiful woman. And that was 1980s Farrah Fawcett, who was the hottest thing with two legs. She was amazing looking. But it was science fiction and Farrah Fawcett, not a great actress anyway. Then you throw her into science fiction, and it's going to be pretty, really terrible. Can't Stop the Music, which was the story of the village people. So it was uh, profoundly bad. And Bruce, uh, you know, Caitlyn Jenner, then known as uh, Bruce Jenner, was an awful, awful actor. Here's the thing. It's so weird. The story of Caitlyn Jenner takes a lot of twists and turns. As people know, uh, Caitlyn Jenner, uh, as Bruce Jenner, an Olympic hero, just an amazing athlete. And young Bruce Jenner was an incredibly handsome guy, uh, an amazing athlete in incredible, incredible shape, and also just wildly famous uh, for winning the gold in the Olympics. Was the, Hollywood seemed bound and determined to turn Bruce Jenner into a star, but he had no acting ability. And they were trying to make it happen. He actually auditioned for the role of Superman because they thought he would look great in the costume. Bruce Jenner at that point in a spandex costume would look good, but he he can he could barely just he, he could barely say his words in the right order. He was a terrible actor actor. So uh, yeah, that's uh, that would have been well deserved too. But Neil, the rest of a lot of the rest of those those just sounded like you know sort of bad movies with actors who should have known better, but nothing profoundly terrible but sam jones didn't belong in there no absolutely not i have completed my notes for the week but i do know kathleen wanted to get more into queen and uh i'm game yes queen thank you thank you um uh for those just tuning in i'm a huge queen fan i i will say they're my favorite band i sing their stuff all the time i drive my husband nuts um, and it's fine because I don't care because Queen is amazing. But we were talking about Debbie Harry, uh, potentially casting her as the role of Princess Aura. And I started to talk about kind of the music scene at this point. And Brad and Eric, I know that y'all were around. Um, I wasn't even a zygote yet. So correct me if, I, if my understanding of the music scene is wrong. But it was pretty much the rise of like post-punk new wave and queen at this time was seen as a bit of a, of a dinosaur. Uh, you know, the band around, uh, 1979, uh, this big hard rock stadium bands like the who and things were not really kind of in style anymore. It was really these new wave bands like Blondie, Talking Heads, Iggy Pop, the Ramones and all the usual suspects at the CBGB in, uh, New York. Um, so really, Queen's sound just wasn't, it was just seen as old school. But um, around 1980, um, or around 1979, I guess, whenever they were filming this movie, they were coming out with their eighth album, The Game. And there's some classic hits from this single. And Brad, I think you're going to like this, or you probably already know. So one was Another One Bites the Dust, which everyone knows. It's a pretty classic Queen song. And then another is Crazy Little Thing Called Love. And the game came out in 1980, like right around the time Flash Gordon was released. So I would argue that they saw this Flash Gordon doing the music for it as kind of like a marketing campaign for their album coming out in 1980. And I really think that um, and this album reached number one for the first time ever in the U.S. charts for them. So it was a big deal. And I really think if Queen wasn't involved with the Splash Gordon project, that 
they wouldn't have had that renaissance period again with their power ballads and stuff in the 80s. So um, that's that's really kind of the main point that I wanted to bring up about them. Is does that What do y'all think about that? Like, do you think that maybe the, the movie helped with their marketing for the upcoming album? Or is this a theory that's just dumb? I don't know. <laughs> no, no, it's, it's certainly not a dumb theory. What's interesting is, this movie was successful, but not mega successful. It, it was, um, you, you know, people didn't go out in droves to see this film. But I, I feel like the soundtrack was successful. People were digging the music even more than the movie. It's one of those weird things where there's a song or movie from a soundtrack that actually ends up being more popular. Um, and we've talked a little bit about this before. And... Also, we in the very first episode of Flash Gordon Minute, we talked about the trailer for this film, and the trailer included like the biggest name, like the very last thing the trailer sh- showed was "Music by Queen" in big letters. And the poster, we talked about the poster to the poster specifically called out "Music by Queen." Also, a lot of people see trailers. And when you're in the theater seeing that trailer, no matter how, if you decide you're going to see the movie or not, you see music by Queen. And it just, that's a really, that's really powerful advertising. So it's it's funny where, despite the, I, I agree with you. I think this movie did a lot for Queen and increased their awareness, despite the fact that the movie itself wasn't a huge hit. But like advertising for the movie really was advertising for Queen. Yeah. I just, I don't feel, I mean, because the game that came out in 1980, that was the only album that they ever had that reached number one in the charts. And I really felt like they were kind of dying off towards the late 70s. And this really was a jump shot for them to like be relevant again. And thank goodness for that, because, oh my gosh, they made some, some great music in the 80s. And um, yeah, it's. I, I, I'm very jealous, Eric, that you got to see them in concert. And that's nice to hear that they're still touring. That sounds like really like lame. It's, oh, it's nice to hear they're still. <laughs> Good for you. So wonderful. Good for them. You know, no, but really, that's awesome. So, and really just like, you know, if you want to check out like other bands that kind of sound like Queen, I mean, you can argue with me about this but like i think queen and the band muse have a lot of similarities it's that space rock sound to me that large epic operatic kind of space rock sound if you're a fan of queen but you're you know you're kind of looking for something a little newer i mean muse has been around a while um check them out and then another band which kind of fell off the face of the earth after one album was the darkness that was a that was another great band i think that kind of has that queen element to it darkness is actually coming to baltimore or just was in baltimore recently uh they're now playing smaller venues but uh yeah darkness the first time i saw their video for i believe in a thing called love which by the way is my daughter's favorite song uh, well she's got great taste because that song is great but when I first saw them, I was like, well, look at the way they're dressed. They look like they w- just came back from Freddie Mercury's yard sale. <gasps> I love it. I love it. See, she knows what's up. And then um, I just wanted to recommend some Queen songs that, you know, that are not like, you know, the, the usual suspects. I'm just reading off my playlist. So if y'all want to further explore Queen, some other hidden gem songs that I like, Misfire, in the lap of the gods is such an awesome song. Like I wish 
that intro to In the Lap of the Gods was somewhere in this movie. It's just big and operatic. It's amazing. Um, Ogre Battle's pretty good. Um, and then just two more, My Fairy King and Great King Rat. Like, they're obviously a bunch of, like, Dungeons & Dragons nerds. Like, there's just so many of their songs. I'm just like, yeah, these 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 guys have definitely rolled a 12-sided die in their day. So... <laughs> um, definitely check those out. Very good recommendations. Uh, uh, Eric, you're the queen guy here. Uh, it, 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 do you have any other songs that you would add to that list that people should check out uh, outside of the Flash Gordon music? Oh, I mean, just about anything from uh, that classic queen and queen greatest hits, those two CDs that are out there. One's got the blue cover, one's got the red cover. I mean, each one's more than an hour long. I mean, you get those two. I mean, you're, you're, you're really set. I just feel like every song is good in its own way. Yeah, I mean, they just, you know, they just rock, you know? I mean, even even the songs of theirs that I don't like, you still tip your cap to just, you know, there's still, you know, there's still an energy in them. Even if you might not like the song, they're still just really rocking. Yeah. Yeah. Rock on. <laughs> and I, since this has been a, an episode of Lists, I'm, I'm, I'm going all in here since we're talking about Queen. Uh, we haven't mentioned this yet. The, the Flash Gordon soundtrack, I've got some oh. peak positions that they got on various countries' album charts. So I'm going all in with, with another list in this episode. Woo. Let's make it happen. All right. From from worst performing country to best performing country. In Sweden, the Flash Gordon soundtrack hit number 29. Norway, number 25. Here in the U.S., number 23. Oh. In the U.K. and in Canada, number 10. The Dutch charts, number 7. Germany, it hit number 2. And the one country where the Flash Gordon soundtrack hit number 1, Austria. That is a crazy list. That is a, those are some crazy charts. You know, we'll, we'll have to do a bit of research if this album went platinum, if it went gold, how many times it went platinum. I, I would like to know some sales figures for this because uh, that's interesting. That would be really cool. I would love to hear that. I'm, I'm a big marketing business fan. I'm a, I'm a nerd with numbers. So please find that out. I would love that. To be shared for next time. Kathleen, this has been an amazing week. Thank you so much for, 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 for taking the time. This has been a ton of fun. Yeah, I've had an awesome time talking about both Flash Gordon and my favorite band of all time. Probably the best band in the universe, uh, Queen. So uh, thank you so much for having me. And I hope to get out of my house soon because I'm going a little crazy. And I'm, you know, really eyeing some of the sharp <laughs> objects in the I don't know. It's just, I need to get out. I need to get out. We'll take the giant pneumatic tube that we use to connect you to our studio so you could get here, and we'll leave it for you for the rest of the week so you can use it to get out somewhere else. Oh, that's how I got there. <laughs> oh, wow. Maybe I was sniffing some of that glue under the handkerchief. I don't Oh, There's just so many trippy things in this movie, but it's been fun, y'all, and thank you so much for having me, and anybody listening out there, if you need a kooky, crazy, silly person on your show to talk about things, I'm totally for it. She will do a great job. Uh, Kathleen always does. We recommend, uh, remember, she's part of the Cystic Fibrosis Foundation, CFF.org. Uh, it's a wonderful group, uh, and Cosmic Geppetto has long supported it, and we recommend that you do too because uh, it, they need your help, uh, and they're looking for a cure within uh, within our lifetime. It's, it's something that Kathleen's doing to make the world better. There's really nothing else I can say about that. Eric, this has been a great week. Uh, thank you again for going on this journey with me. Oh, th thank you for, you know, taking a, getting in the rocket ship with me and flying off into the vortex with me. 
but I have a concern. Is it your earwax? It's not the earwax. I'm trying not to think about the earwax. <laughs> you shouldn't have told me that uh, it grosses you out. <laughs> I've, I've exposed my Achilles heel. Yeah, as I said before, the, uh, the the first person to ever host the Cosmic Geppetto podcast other than me was Kathleen. Uh, she tricked me and she took over. She was beloved when she uh, ran the show. And uh, I'm just concerned because now she's been on uh, on with us. She's done such a great job. I'm afraid she's going to take over this podcast as well. Well, if you're worried that you and I are the Wally Pip to Kathleen's Lou Gehrig, don't worry. Flash will save every one of us. Coming up next week, our guests Julia and Rick from Mad Max Minute join us for Flash and Princess Aura's daring escape. Incredible adventures await you here on Flash Gordon Minute.